This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Gusto, modern, easy payroll benefits for small businesses across the country. And because you're a listener, you get three months free when you run your first payroll. Find out at gusto.com slash tape. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Jeff Fromm. He is a partner at the Barclay Ad Agency. He's also the president of Futurecast. He's a consumer trend expert speaker and author of a new book, The Purpose Advantage, How to Unlock New Ways of Doing Business. So, Jeff, thanks for joining me. Thanks a bunch, John. Looking forward to it. You also have the distinction of being one of those very few Kansas City guests that I end up having on the show. So uh, I always love that. I, I never do any of my shows like sitting in the same room with people, but we could have done that, couldn't we? Yeah, we, we'll try that. We'll put it on the calendar for when your schedule allows for that. And we'll make it a live episode. <laughs> so this topic of purpose is is so hot that it's sort of um, almost starting to get tiresome because nobody's everybody's talking about it, but nobody's doing it or not enough people are doing it. Why do you suppose that is? Well, I think part of the reason the topic's gotten so hot is uh, you have the CEO of Unilever spending a fair amount of time in national and international media talking about some of the brands that they have that do it pretty well. Not all their brands do. They have hundreds of brands. And then you also have the CEO of BlackRock, which is you know the other side of the coin, the institutional investor, saying, you know, in the next few years, if you're not doing this, we're simply not going to invest in your brand in order to be considered on the list. You're going to have to be purpose-driven. So you have sort of both sides of uh, Wall Street now talking about it. In terms of the doing it, here's what I would say. Um, Today's consumer and today's employee, all things being equal, leans to purpose or values-driven brands. But all things aren't always equal. Sometimes brands are faster, better, they taste better, they've got some advantage, and then purpose isn't going to make a big difference. But when all things are equal, it can be a really big deal. Uh, and and so like um, that's where I think uh, people need to understand. And then also you have a lot of what is the definition of purpose. And and by, by my reckoning, as I've looked at a large body of work, there has to be a societal benefit. So you could have a really strong brand like Glossier, and it's a design-led brand, and it's really interesting. There's no real societal advantage. Or you could be Amazon, and you have a really powerful brand. Not sure I see a societal advantage. So, you know, that doesn't mean you can't win if you're not purpose-driven. It just means there are a lot of purpose-driven brands today that are gaining momentum. Well, so, you know, this idea is not new, but why is it? why do you think it's come to the forefront you know, what, what sort of dynamic has made it like an essential element now to compete? Well, uh, you got a, a, a several factors happening all at the same time. So you have really low unemployment. And that means we're competing in a labor market where I'm trying to distinguish myself. And so if the benefits and the salary and these things are all sort of convergent, being a purpose-driven or values-driven brand can sometimes be an advantage in attracting and retaining staff. And so even some companies like Mod Pizza compete on that basis. They build that into their DNA. At the same time you have that happening, you have a proliferation, as you know, of direct and indirect competitors. I mean, we could walk down the grocery store aisle and find, I don't know, 50, 100 different kinds of toothpaste. Uh, yogurt. Yogurt's crazy. the one I like to pick on. It's like there's like miles, yeah. miles so, of yogurt. 
you know, uh, I had a, a Chobani yogurt for lunch today, and there are so many yogurts. Now, Chobani is a purpose-driven innovator. I don't buy Chobani because it's purpose-driven. I buy Chobani because I love the flavors. The fact that it's purpose-driven only matters when the flavors I want and the price are about equal. Someone else has better flavors or a significantly better price than but when things are about equal, then I go to the purpose-driven innovator. And Jabani is one of the purpose-driven innovators that has gone from the relatively smallest player in the category that was probably about as sleepy as any category of ever I could ever imagine to a very hot, vibrant category, taking share away from the cereal aisle and taking snack occasions away from people who historically maybe had a candy bar and now they're replacing it with a yogurt and a sidecar or a sugar. <laughs> so I think a lot of times when people think purpose, they think, oh, I don't know, like Tom's, you know, like a grand sort of charity, you know, they're, they're doing all this good in the world. But I think that people sometimes, I mean, I think purpose just means that you're defining what you stand for or why you stand for. And, and I think, a lot of times brands that seem to really take off with this purpose, you know, have created a movement or they've created some sort of new functionality like, you know, Warby Parker, for example. I mean, I think they do some nice things and they've gotten on sort of the cause uh, bandwagon as well. But I mean, I think originally it's just they solved a really bad buying experience uh, that people had and that functionality turned them into sort of a movement. Does that does that make any sense? I think a lot of times people get really hung up on the we have to give money to charity as our purpose. Yeah, I think I think you're hitting a really important point. The giving money to charity model has existed for a really long time. And that model is only so effective. In fact, it can be almost ineffective if you're not careful. The key part is it's the functionality with something else. Bomba socks which is a one-for-one one sock company, actually makes a technical, technically superior sock, at least relative to all the other socks in my drawer. So if it wasn't a technically superior sock, I don't know how much I care that you give a pair away. But now that I see how superior it is, it's like, well, okay, I feel better about indulging in this more expensive sock. Uh, one of the most powerful brands on the planet is Tide Detergent. I think Tide probably cleans people's clothes pretty well. Seventh Generation is having great success against this massive brand because I think it probably cleans about as well as Tide. But I feel a little better about myself when I use seventh generation knowing it doesn't have an impact on the environment. And actually it's shelf generally, and you could look at walmart.com and other places, but generally it's about 10% more. So they're charging about a 10% premium at shelf. Consumer doesn't write a check to the environment. They don't say, I'm going to write a check to the environmental defense fund or anything else. They say, eh, I think it cleans as well as this other thing that I've heard about Tide, but I think it might be a little better in terms of how. And so it's not charity. It's I feel a little better about myself as a person, and I don't pay a lot extra for it. The key part is there's a functional benefit, as you pointed out, and there's a small price premium. Although in the world of a Unilever, getting a 10% price premium over a brand as strong as Tide, not so small. But that assumes you're actually getting credit for your purpose, which in the case of seventh generation, they probably do. There are plenty of brands that fail to get credit for their purpose too. Well, well, let's also talk, you know, a lot of my listeners are small business owners. So far, we've talked about really, you know, giant businesses. But I think it, I sure. think it goes down to the 
the plumber or the restaurant, you know, the local restaurant. I think that the people get behind things because of maybe what they think it stands for. And and I'll give you a really obscure example. Our listeners won't know this, but you might. There's a little um, there's a little uh, bar cafe in Kansas City in Westport called Sava. Um, and they, I'll give them a great shout out. They serve, they serve primarily, if not exclusively, French champagne. Um, I think you can actually get other drinks there, but that's their, that's their thing. And it's very dark. It's very French. It's very, you know, it, it, it has a vibe. And I think that in, in some cases, what they're trying to do is bring that to the world, bring that experience to the world. I feel like that's a purpose. Yeah. Um, so it meets some definitions of purpose. The one that we put forward in the book was around society benefit. And we also added that even though purpose is a noun, metaphorically, purpose needs to be a verb. So it would not meet the standard we put forward in the book. That doesn't mean they don't have a reason for existing like Glossier, like Amazon, or like uh, other businesses, but they have a clear reason for being. I'm not that familiar with this particular fine establishment. It seems, seems like one I need to get to. <laughs> you need to get to. But here's my point that yeah. you just made. Is it enough to provide a societal, um, what do you call it, societal... Benefit. Societal, benefit. societal benefit of making people feel better for that afternoon or that evening. I mean, does that, I mean, especially since I'm sort of in charge of whether or not it made me feel better, isn't that providing a little bit of a societal benefit? I'm trying to take this down so to I the level there, where, where every business plenty, says that we can do this. I, there, there are plenty of people who, who would agree with you for sure. They would say that meets the definition and, and, and same with Glossier and Amazon. They all have very clear purpose. In the book, we've defined it around societal benefit, meaning you know positive impact on sustainability or uh, cultural issues like issues around equality or any number of things. So, so it doesn't meet the definition we put forward in the book. It clearly meets the needs of you and other people, or it wouldn't be open and, and doing such a wonderful job. And so does. Amazon and I use Glossier because they're both bigger companies. Um, so the definition we've chosen is a little more narrow uh, in order to try to get clarity around the fact that there has to be something that company's doing. And there are plenty of companies that do things. You know, there are plenty of B2B companies that are doing things in the sustainability space and local companies do things. You know, uh, there are local companies taking on everything from urban farming to, you know, help people who don't have food to other things that are, um, you know, important to their local consumer or customer. For me, the big part is in the brands I try to highlight in the book, connecting that purpose to your business model. Seventh generation is getting a premium from a consumer concerned about getting clean laundry functionally and doing good by the environment. And then they have to reinvest in new product innovation and other things. And so you try to build a virtuous cycle into the model, um, whether you're a small business or a big business. And ideally, it helps to fuel how people who use the brand and your employees feel about that brand. Everyone loves payday, but loving a payroll provider, that's a little weird. 
Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and management tools to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal. It's modern. You might fall in love yourself. Hey, and as a listener, you get three months free when you run your first payroll. So try a demo and test it out at gusto.com slash tape. That's gusto.com slash tape. So do you see any danger in people saying, yes, this fifth P, we have to do it. So what would be a good purpose? <laughs> let's, that's what we're going to, you know, let's get our ad agency communicating our, our good purpose. Yeah, I think that is a... <laughs> Uh, a problem. <laughs> I would say this. Typically, uh, for me, a starting point, and you would be very familiar with this, is you sort of look at the heritage and the original reason for being of a company. And, and a lot of times when you dig back to the roots, you'll find a functional reason. And then you'll find some other things about the history of that company. And if you can sort of dig into those roots and find something that's very true, then that would be sort of a probably better path forward as opposed to, um, you know, why don't we append this donation onto when everyone buys X, we donate 5% to cause X. It, it doesn't usually work out as well when you append it on. Um, and, and to your earlier point, that functional, sort of thing that you do if you do it really well is is important. I'm not arguing in favor of all brands must have a purpose. I think there are a lot of brands that are winning today because that purpose gives them an edge with their employees and their consumers who are spreaders. Yeah, I, I mean, to some degree, could you say that it starts with communi- like officially communicating what you believe? as a business is, is maybe a starting point for this? Yeah, I think a lot of companies try to do that. And, and I'm, hopefully they start inside their organization uh, so that everyone can feel that internally and then, and then act on that externally. And, um, and, and, you know, all big companies started as small companies as a general rule. So, you know, Ben and Jerry's was once very small, right? So these, these companies that, are purpose-driven or also sometimes use the term purpose-driven innovators, you know, ideally they have some beliefs that the founders hold true. Perfect world, it creates a virtuous cycle where those beliefs actually help them retain their employees, that help them acquire their customers and retain customers. And there's a cycle uh, as opposed to just the append kind of a strategy. We're going to do this charitable piece, which I think is generally a less successful way to think about this topic. As brands are embracing this idea more and more, and so people feel like, yeah, I'm a part of a movement or I'm a part of a community or, you know, this makes me feel better, you know, to to be a part of this brand. Do they run the risk of 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 their consumer then feeling like, hey, you have to, you know, you have to live this. You have to, you know, you have to walk the talk at all times. And and we can take this from the headlines right now of what's going on with SoulCycle and um, I forget the other, the name of the other brand uh, that uh, are caught up in a little bit of consumers who, who are their passionate, loyal customers because they, you know, believe in what the brand stands for, that soul cycle is not just about, you know, it's about you as a person and not just about exercise. And then all of a sudden, 
you know, that comes out that a board member is, is a, you know, holds a big Trump fundraiser. A lot of their people object because they feel like that's not the brand. You know, are we as, are we as marketers now sort of getting to that point where, you know, every misstep is, is, you know, going to be felt and determined by, you know, a market who now can, who, who now has, you know, their own TV stations? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is no doubt that you're right. That, uh, first of all, it's better to not be out front on some kind of a purpose driven topic if you can't offer proof. And uh, Gillette might be the classic case study coming out as a big company in the Super Bowl on toxic masculinity without having laid a foundation around their actions. What are you doing as a company to change that conversation? So one of the mistakes small companies can make is getting out early in the communication cycle before you've laid a foundation with your internal stakeholders before you've put down a little proof. The flip side is you don't have to wait five years to talk about your purpose. It's not like, well, we have to have done one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. If you could get action on the first couple of things so people don't think you're a phony, it's okay to start a conversation. But there is a cycle of communication, and I think one of the traps is to quickly try to get credit on something where you don't have some history. It's entirely fair for Nike to start a conversation around a number of topics that are related to cultural things because they've done it for a long time. Same with Ben and Jerry's. But if I had a brand I was working on that had no history, I'd have to come at that a little more cautiously. So what if a brand has in the you know in their market's mind a purpose and they have loyal fans uh, but they want to make a change they they believe something new <laughs> for example um patagonia is is an example that a lot of people use you know they they really had a place in the mind of their uh, customer um and then they really went big in the whole reuse you don't need to buy new thing. Um, and, and I think for people that some people, that was quite a purpose shift. Um, I'd love it if you kind of talk a little bit about, hopefully you're familiar with that, yeah. but uh, if you talk a little bit about. Yeah, I think Patagonia is an interesting example and uh, worth a conversation, obviously not a small brand, but they act like a small brand. And their original purpose was sort of a do no harm kind of a purpose. And they built quite a following around that. And then they uh, did a major shift from do no harm to sort of protect and defend. And it's interesting to me, I'm not on the inside of it, but here's a brand that's probably in the top 1% of purpose-driven brands with, I would argue, um, without having data, you know, price elasticity advantage, frequency of use advantage. I mean, people walk around airports with T-shirts that say Patagonia. And it's like, okay, you know, when people start tattooing uh, your brand on your hat and your T-shirt that they're wearing, it's a pretty strong brand. So someone made a choice that, you know, consumer trends have changed. We have a lot of competitors that are also trying to do no harm. We're going to up the ante. And they took actions. I think I think they may have been the company that donated a $10 million you know, tax refund that they got through some new tax law changes all back to environmental charities, if I'm not mistaken. And so, um, you know, here's a company that has said, okay, we're purpose-driven innovator. And their products had, to your earlier point, you know, strong functional appeal. I think other people caught them on functional. I think other people that caught them on purpose, and then they just reshifted on 
purpose again and to endorse kind of an audience that's concerned about that kind of a purpose. Now they're back to, wow, what a love brand does. They change the rules. <laughs> and, and so I'm not inside that organization in terms of knowing it, but as an outsider looking at it, I say, it's a great example of a company that's staying ahead of the trend at appropriate pacing. You don't want to be too far ahead, right? You don't want to outkick your whole punch. I don't think it was that radical. I mean, it was a pretty safe bet that their customer, at least a percentage of their customer, cared about that as well. Um, you know, the, the traditional sort of outdoor person uh, and not necessarily the fashion person, <laughs> you know, cared about that that new messaging as well. So if if somebody's listening to this or somebody you know called you and it said this really makes a lot of sense but we're not sure we've found what it is or how to communicate it i mean is there kind of a process a set of exercises a, a strategic planning yeah. you know session to kind of you know find some of this so in the in the book in the purpose advantage i literally lay out step by step the typical process we would use with a midsize or a larger company to you know identify their purpose and um, I say typical because you might modify it slightly based on information presented by company executives about where they are in the in the cycle okay but uh, it's designed to any business strategist even at a small company could take it and apply it themselves so that they can diligently work towards here's where I am and here's the phases of looking through um, how I move my business forward with that framework. So, Jeff, we've presented a lot of big organizations um, as examples, but again, I contend that this is important to the smallest organization. You know, it'll be at a, uh, you know, the impact that they might make at a societal level might be different, but I think the impact to their business uh, could be just, just as large. So where can people find out more about your work and, of course, the Purpose Advantage? Sure. Um, I would invite people to connect directly, whether that's LinkedIn, Jeff Fromm, or uh, you can email me, uh, jfromm at thefuturecast.com. The Purpose Advantage is uh, coming out in a couple weeks, and it's on Amazon. And you can literally get not only the stories of these brands, but the entire workshop in the book. Uh, And I think Amazon sells that for all the $10 10 or $12. <laughs> uh, For those, uh, depending upon when you're listening to this, a uh, couple of weeks means the middle of September 2019. Yeah, middle of September. I would expect them to ship ship the, the book no later than that. I mean, uh, the very latest. And, um, and, and the idea behind the book was that um, we are laying out not only the inspiration and the stories, but the process. And so the, the back half of the book is a... Uh, a how to create a more purpose-driven organization, even for companies that have one, how can I refine? Because I think a lot of companies have one, but they want to do better. I want to engage my employees more. I want to have, you know, a more engaged customer base. So, and I think the examples you shared, several of which are fabulous examples that, you know, particularly your last question about Patagonia, you know, a company that upped the game. So Jeff, thanks for stopping by the, the podcast and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll, I will go have a, a glass of French champagne at Savard uh, sometime soon. I'd look forward to it and thank you for having me and i um, happy to help anyone who would like more information uh, if they want to get in touch. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Okay. Take care.